0: We began a mission a few weeks ago, studying the, trying to discover what may be some hidden messages in the movies. Now, not necessarily that the directors intended them to be there, but that we might find redeeming qualities in movies, lessons from those movies, and so we wrap it up next week as we think about, and celebrate. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection with the passion. But this week we look at Transformers. And I, again, I really appreciate uh, James Tucker and him opening up his life to you and sharing what's going on. And the thing is, is that if everybody had that opportunity to share, everyone in this room has a story to tell. Everybody in this room has a story to tell. Maybe it's not like James and sure it's not like James, but you've had a story to tell. And hopefully that story includes some point in your life of a transforming element that's happened. That God has done something awesome, amazing that you can't explain, that can't you can't even put your finger on completely, that man can't explain, but you can have to look to God and, and He explains it. Well, the movie Transformers came out a, a, a few years ago, uh, or excuse me, about a year ago, and it was one of those that I had never seen. I'm not a big sci-fi fan. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the movies... We, I don't know about you, but we—I uh, like the movies. I like going to a good movie, not a bad movie. But by the time you spend your money, you're kind of you kind of into it, all right. But anyway, you go to a good movie, and but America loves movies. We love going to movies, and we talked about that again when we started the series. The thing is, we actually even take movies and celebrities and make them our gods almost. We look at celebrities and we want to say, hey, you know, I want to be like that person. I want to dress like that person. I want to act like that person. Hopefully you don't want to have a marriage like most people in Hollywood. But, I mean, we kind of look at those celebrities and we say, hey, there's qualities in them that I like. Well, that's what we say, whether we consciously do it or not. This is what one person said about, uh, about uh, just the whole celebrity status in, in our culture. He says, in the post-Christian culture, celebrities stand in as a high pri- as our high priest, as our conduits to the divine. We want them to be perfect, to suggest what's possible. To offer an image of eternal beauty. The image Deo or the image of God. Now you may not consciously look up to the the movie stars and the celebrities in, in such a manner. But we do spend an awful lot of time in front of them, watching them, analyzing them. And we almost enjoy it when they fall. I don't know what it is about us. Maybe it's a sick part of us that they've been such a celebrity and all of a sudden they fall and then we read them in the tabloids and we follow them on on the news. And it's kind of a sad thing about our culture, about how, again, the movies so much impact us and take so much of our time because we spend a lot of time watching television. A.C. Nielsen Company is a company that actually registers and monitors and reports to the televisions and, and, and entertainment industry anyway about who's watching and how much TV's watching is interesting to find in this study that I found this week that we, an average American, will watch three hours and 46 minutes of television every day. That's more than 52 days of nonstop watching television per year. We watch a lot of these people. And again, they shape the way we think, they shape the way we dress, they shape the, our values many times, and we have to kind of be very, very conscious of that. Well, again, coming back to the movie Transformers, I had not seen transformers uh, prior to going into this uh, into this preparing for this series of messages in fact this week was one of those weeks that I was kind of really struggling with so we were in a creative worship planning time and and uh, some of the members said hey you know what you might want to look at transformers now I hate sci-fi okay I'll just point, point blank tell you that I hate sci-fi. I'd rather watch the wallpaper peel off the wall, off the wall than to watch a sci-fi movie in fact I had a hard time staying awake during this movie Uh, I was looking for some redeeming qualities, because it's uh, talking about transformation. How many of y'all like sci-fi? Are y'all track fans? All right, all right, maybe I'm alone in this. Uh, I I did watch Star Wars, all right. Uh, In fact, I watched Star Wars, what I call the first episode, which is actually the fourth episode. You'll figure that one out. I mean, it's a sci-fi movie counting for you. You start with four, and then you end up back at, I, I don't know. Anyway, I watched it like seven or eight times when I was a kid growing up. And so that's about as much as I got into the sci-fi scene. So anyway, you watch Transformers, it's in that sci-fi category, and you get into it. And I thought, the name says something. The name says something redemptive about it. Just the whole fact of transform, transformation, change, metamorphosis, that whole idea. Well, here's the story behind In a, in a, skinny, in a skinny Minute. Basically, Transformers tells the story of, in 2003 of the Beagle 2 Mars rover when it was launched It was sent into outer space, but it crashed. And it crashed on, I believe it was Mars, it had about 13 seconds of uh, of the final transmission that was actually held out by our government. Again, this is sci-fi, okay? This is not real, but I'm telling you the story, all right? Not that the government would ever hide anything from us, but 13 seconds here, they pull it out, and they hide it. It's top secret, you can't see it. Well, it was the only warning that I'm, that the, this planet, us Earthlings, would ever have to know that one day we might be invaded by these uh, by these uh, transformers, these these robots turned into machines, uh, and so forth. And in this story, there are there's the good and there's the bad. This little bleep shows you of this this 30, 13 second spot shows you of the uh, of uh, of this bad side of this evil side of the robots, the Decepticons. All right. You hanging with me? Please do. Um, it took me a lot of work to get this one. All right? And the bad guy, the, the, the Satan-type guy, is Megatron, all right, in this story. Megatron is the bad guy, and he is the one who represents all the other bad robots because this is the story that, that tells between the good robots and the bad robots. And the Decepticons, an appropriate name, would be, the, would be the bad robots, and the Autobots are the good robots led by Optimus Prime. Anybody bored yet? I am. All right? In my own message. But they're after this cube. This cube holds the power between good and evil. The battle between good and evil. And yet, it all rests in this little teenager. If he has the glasses, then good will win and bad will lose. That's the story in a nutshell. And I thought Hollywood for sure on that one. You know, what a story, you know, to attract the teenagers and the kids to come see this, and to see this little teenager boy as the, the hope of the world. And I thought, you know, there may be a redemptive quality in that. A battle between good and evil. All of a sudden, God deciding to put all the answers to all mankind's problems, all the hope for all of man's evils, and to put it into the heart of a child child's name would be Jesus and put Him onto the earth. Now, I'll have to say this. Don't develop an entire theology off of Transformers. There's all kinds of stuff in there. It's all, I've given you the best part of it, okay? I've given you what I think is redemptive qualities. But as you look at that story and you think about that, yes, there was a boy that became a, became a man and this boy gave his life so that, so that we could live. And this week we celebrate that. The greatest holiday of the year the most important one, without this holiday. There is no hope. Without this, there is that, 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 that good and evil battle still going on. But there was a man, there was a boy who became a man, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered the evil one. He conquered him, and he put the nail in his coffin, enabling us to have life and hope, and he put it in the heart of a child. Now that's Transformers 1. Now, the great thing about every good movie is what? You always have a sequel. You know what? There's a sequel to Transformers 1. Now, not the one in Hollywood, but there's one that's in Scripture. And that is the Transformers 2. And the great thing about this is that we get to play in this movie. Is that God, yes, He did all of this, the battle between good and evil in Transformers 1, but we are the stars of Transformer 2. And that, yes, we have the cube, or not the cube, but we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that that if you are a follower of Christ, that you are being transformed, you are transformed, and you are made to transform. God is doing something inside of you that, again, Hollywood could not create on the big screen, that doctors cannot put into a formula, that God can do something inside of all of us that can take somebody like a James Tucker or like a Mike McDaniel and make something special and unique out of. And that is the story of Transformers too. So take your Bibles and look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because I want you to see how the cube, if I can continue to use that metaphor, or how the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of mankind. And this was happens because, again, when Jesus came, He bled, He died, He suffered for all of us, and then He came back to life again. And when He came back to life, He followed up on a promise that He made before His death that when He would go away, He would send a comforter. He would send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. In fact, He told the disciples to stay in the upper room. Don't leave the upper room until the Holy Spirit comes, and then you will have power. And that power begins to manifest itself in us as we develop a relationship with God. And then this Transformers 2 begins to take place in us. But here's the real cool thing about you. If you are a follower of Christ today, and in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, it says this, but we have this treasure. Now again, if I could use the metaphor, this is the cube. This is the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, were the earthen vessels. Isn't it amazing how strange and how bizarre it is that God would take something so precious, so valuable as Himself, and He would put it in an earthen vessel? Wouldn't that be something you would put in a vault? Isn't that something you would put in a glass container where it's absolutely untouchable and unapproachable? But He didn't. He took Himself and He put it inside an earthen vessel. That earthen vessel is you and I so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Transformation begins to take place. God took His, His most precious self, His being, His Holy Spirit, and He placed it inside of us as followers of Him. We're just earthen vessels. We're just made out of clay. We've all got clay feet. Let's admit it today. We're all messed up. We've all screwed it up. We've all been stupid in life. But the great thing is, is that God took His Spirit and put it inside of us, earthen vessels. And He begins to do a transformation work in us that is absolutely amazing. I want to give you a life principle today. It's the thesis of the message. It's it's everything, and you're going to hear me say it over and over and over again today because it's absolutely vitally important. And here's the life principle. God is transforming you to be a transformer. God is transforming you to be a transformer. So take your Bibles, and I want to show you where it says that in Scripture. You're in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Go over to chapter 5. Turn a page or two in your Bible. And look with me at verse 16. I'm going to show you now where we are, we are God's transforming work, but we are also to be transformers in His work. Verse 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We have a new identity. I don't recognize you according to the flesh, even though, uh, excuse me, I, I'm in verse 16. Yeah, verse 16 Therefore, we recognize that you know no one according to the flesh, even though you have a known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him no longer. In this way, no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God and who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And He made Him who knew no sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there is in my heart right now a tremendous burden to get this message out. I feel, Lord, a tension, a distraction, A battle. A battle going on in the hearts and the minds of my own heart, my own mind, and of others in this room. Lord, I pray that the power that manifests itself in your spirit would be made known in this room today. The power to transform the power to reconcile, the power to make things right when things are wrong. And Lord, help us to see and to understand and to grasp and begin to put our arms around the tremendous reality that we are transformed in being transformed. And will continue to be transformed. At the same time, Lord, to be a transformer. Lord, help us to understand that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe God is in the transforming business. Now, you know, He's not transforming us from... from, uh, Chevy Camaros into, into, into robots or, or anything like that. He's transforming us individually from the inside out. If you are in a relationship with Him, He is trying to do, attempting to do in you what you couldn't do in yourself, what no psychologist, no psychotherapy, what no drug could do. He is trying to do something amazing in you. And He is all about Transformation. Now, I, I, I do not believe that transformation is going to come through government. I don't believe it's going to come through policies or decisions. Real transformation that I'm talking about will not be dictated, will not come through a drug, will not come through a psychologist, will not come through any other way. The transformation that I speak of is a spiritual transformation. You say, Mike, you say transformation of government. You know what? There is more work going on in East Asia right now of transforming people's lives in communist countries where you can't have a church than there is in America where it's completely free. I mean, God is doing things around the world that we're just totally oblivious to in in, in not free countries, in ungodly countries. It's not going to be through the policies. It's going to be through people's lives. It's going to be through... My life is through your life allowing God to do in me and God to do in you and God to do through us what only He can do. This passage speaks to that. Two transformations that God's Spirit wants to do in us. Jot them down. Number one, He wants to be transforming me. I am being transformed. I am personally a work in progress. Stamp it on my forehead. Put it across me. I am a work in progress progress. I was recently in 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 an office and it was kind of a trying testing moment. An interesting thing is, is that the person on the other side of the counter said, I knew who you were, I knew what you did, and I was watching you. Now that told me that this was an opportunity for me to be in the flesh and there was plenty of opportunity for that, but I didn't do that. And I said, well, did I pass the test? And she said yes. In fact, then she said, I may actually be coming to your church soon. I don't think she's here today. But the point being is that I am a work in progress. And I just told her this. I said, I apologize to you in advance now. Because if you keep watching me, you will watch me fail. Because I will mess up. I will stumble. I will lose my temper. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. God is at work in us if we are children of God. Verse 17 is a beautiful verse, one that should be memorized by all. He tells us in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new being. He has a new beginning. He has a new life. When you enter into this relationship with God, He begins to do something in you that you couldn't do outside of anything else. It's an awesome transformation that begins to take place in us. And the thing is is that you can spend 15, 30, 40, 50 years of your life and developing a character for who you are but when you enter into this relationship with Christ, He will begin to revolutionize and change your life. Not just turn over a new leaf. You become a new person. Your account with Him, the sin debt account, becomes free and clear, and you receive a new life right here and right now. A new beginning, a new life. Here's what the, how the message paraphrases this verse. It says, now we look inside. What we see is... Is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and a new life burgeons. Look at it. All comes from God who settled the relationship between us and Him. When I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I get a new life. Now, He says here in, in, in the translation of the New American Standard, it says, The, the old things are passed away, behold, new things come. And I did a word study on this this week. What what does this mean? The old things are passed away and the new things are coming. And the best example I can think of is your yard may look like my yard right now. Okay, I have Bermuda grass. And right now my my yard is brown, it's dry, it's dead. It has no life to it. I mean, the only thing that's life in there are the weeds that are starting to pop up. All right? And so that's the only life that my yard has. But here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to get out with the mower. I'm going to lower the mower down as low as I can get it. And I'm going to scalp that yard. I'm going to get rid of all that that I possibly can, right as low down to the ground as I can. And I'm going to hope and pray that the sun and the rain will come and that new life will come. And you come see my yard in a couple of weeks, you'll still find the weeds. In a couple of months, you'll still find the weeds. But you'll also probably find grass. In fact, I love it whenever the Bermuda begins to come out of the ground because it's almost like you've got this brown, dark, dreary kind of grass and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you see this green popping up. It becomes lush, it becomes soft, it becomes it becomes alive again. Well, you know what happens whenever Christ comes inside of us? There's a whole lot of brown, dark, dreary, dead parts of us. But what Jesus does when he comes inside of us is he gives us new life. And all of a sudden, it the new grass begins to burgeon in our hearts and in our lives, and we begin to take on a totally new look. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I want you to read it out loud with me. It says, here it is. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He starts a work in us. He's going to continue to work on us and continue to work on us. And He's not going to be done working on us. He's not going to be done continuing to transform us until the day of Christ Jesus. Until it's all said and done. Until our life is finished. He will continue and continue and continue to work on us. How does God transform us? Here's a couple of ways that I think you need to jot down and just think about the transforming work of God because He wants to be in your life transforming you. He wants to be burgeoning new life out of your old life. Here's one of the ways. By managing your mind. He wants to transform you with your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's that word by the renewing of your mind, Romans twelve two. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Research has shown that one that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on, guys? What are you watching on the internet? Where are you letting your mind settle and rest? Do are, 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 are you get into that mode where you just get so consumed, and this could be women or men, so consumed with, with a relationship gone bad, a betrayal gone bad. And, I mean, a betrayal is bad. I mean, a betrayal gone worse, I guess. But, I mean, just a bad relationship, a bad whatever, a bad event, and you just begin to stew on it. You know what? Your mind is caught up into that. Are you allowing God to transform your mind? Philippians, he talks about it there as well. He says, think on these things. We've got to realize that what we think on will affect how we live out our lives. And the transforming work that he's going to do in us to bring out that burgeoning life and beauty that we call a yard, that we call call beauty of, of Christ being in us, he's going to do that as we allow our minds to be transformed. Here's another thing that we need to do if we're going to encourage God's transforming work is we need to mute the mouth from time to time. It's amazing how we allow our tongue to wag our bodies. We allow our tongue to control so much and do so much damage. William Backus, a psychologist, wrote a book citing... uh, (laughs) A study that, that, and I'm just quoting the study, that the average person in America tells 200 lies a day. I don't know where he got that. I thought, you know what, if he's half true, the little white lies that we tell, what about the times that we gossip? What about the times that we backbite somebody? What about the times that we, we, we slander somebody? What about the times we lose our temper and we're just venting? We call it just venting. Or just, can I share with you my heart? You know, and we let our tongues wag. God wants to transform our tongues. He wants to transform our minds. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says, If you talk a lot, you are sure to sin. If you are wise, you will keep quiet. One of the spiritual disciplines that has been lost since the Reformation is just the appreciation of silence. Learning to listen and not talk. Learning to listen and not respond. Learning to listen and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Henry Nouwen says it like this, silence is a sacred discipline, a guard of the Holy Spirit. If we would be silent more and speak less, maybe we would sin less as well. I think that's what Proverbs is saying. So we need to manage your mind, you need to mute your mouth, We need to also harness our hearts. See, again, I think that there's a lot of evils in this world. I think uh, pornography is an evil. I think that gambling is an evil. I think that I can think of a whole lot of other evils that are in this world. But let me tell you this. The greatest evil is not in this world. The greatest evil is in our own hearts. Mike, you need to have a higher view of man. You need to have a a better understanding of, uh, and give us the benefit of the doubt. But see, the reality is is that most of the issues that are in the world are just merely manifestations of things that have been going on in our hearts. Because we have not harnessed our hearts and allowed God to transform our hearts, then what happens is it just kind of continues to boil over, and then it creates a market for pornography. It creates a, a market for gambling. It creates a market for these other things that we can do that if we could just control our heart, there wouldn't be a market for it. Mark says it like this: Jesus speaking in Mark, Mark seven twenty to twenty three. He says it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, come sexual immorality, come theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit and lustful desires and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. The evil that we have to worry about is not so much the evil down the street or the evil across the street. It's the evil inside of our own heart. Have you allowed your heart to be arrested and disciplined? Have you controlled your tongue? The Bible says it's a flaming fire. Have you been able to control your thoughts? Have you allowed God to transform your thoughts? Because when He does His transforming work in making us new and making us different and making us back to the original design, He does that through transformation. He does does that through our minds, through our tongues, through our hearts, through controlling those. So we're being transformed is one of the ways, the transformation of God's Spirit inside of you. But there's a second way we are being a transformer. Now, I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough, that this is a complete package here. You'll notice I'm not skipping from one verse to, to skip to another passage or another book or anything. This is one continuous thought here. Is that God is transforming you as an individual. You are and you are becoming Alright, can we can we agree to that? That I am a child of Christ. Hopefully if you're a follower of Christ, I am something, but I'm also becoming something. And as I continue to allow him to work in me, I will become more what he designed me to be. But he's also calling us out not only to be transformed, but to be transformers. And again, I think the greatest transformation that we can make is not in in policy or or, or, or in school or in or in or in in, in any kind of institution at all, the greatest transformation we can make is in individual lives. When we have individual lives change, then all of a sudden, now policy changes. Now all of a sudden, schools change. Now all of a sudden, these other things change. If we don't make individual life changes, then we're we're going at it backwards. We're going at it backwards. God, God isn't simply about transforming us. He's about transforming all of us. In the world. Chapter, chapter 5, verse 18 says it like this. We're in Second Corinthians there. He says it. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Now, the word reconcile there, I'm going to use synonymous with the word transform. He transformed. He reconciled. It's actually A.T. Robinson says it like this. This is actually a banker's term, a teller's term, that if a person was exchanging money, it's vitally important at the end of that day that 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 cash register, that that bankroll, that that it all adds up, okay? You walk in with the same amount and you walk out or you have receipts to go with it. You know, and the most important thing about that teller is that every customer comes up there, every time they get, they, they ask for a transaction, they get this, it, it registers the same. It's got to balance, it's got to reconcile. It's got to be, and if it doesn't reconcile it, somebody's got to reconcile it. It's either going to come out of your pocket or it's going to come out of somebody else's pocket. Well, most of our pockets aren't deep enough to fix all the uh, the mishaps that we've had in our life, so we're going to need somebody with some really deep pockets to fix our problems. And you know who that deep pocket person is? It's that little teenager boy who grew up to be a man named Jesus who had all the answers and died for us. And when he died for us, he fixed our reconciliation issue. Our, our, and he began to transform us, coming like him. But the, the cool thing is, this doesn't stop there. The cool thing is, is that he goes even further. He says, God has done these things who reconciled us to himself. Now look, notice with me here. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now that's interesting. So God reconciled us, but then He turns around and He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He transforms us, but then He turns around and gives us the ministry of transforming. You see that there? He transformed us. He reconciled us. Now He is calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. Big thing. In fact, this whole whole phrase will continue to, to pop up in this passage of Scripture. But He has given you and I a ministry. In fact, if you can go to work tomorrow and you can say, I've got a new job title. I'm now at Grace Point Church, the minister of reconciliation. You know, we have the ministry of discipleship, children's ministry, youth ministry. Everybody in this room has now got a new ministry. You are now given the ministry of reconciliation. Put that on your job description. Or put that on your resume next time. That you have a job. The job is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of transforming people. He gives us a job. He gives us this calling to to be ministers of reconciliation. Namely, keep keep bringing with me in verse verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he uses this word, reconcile, reconciliation, over and over and over again. He has reconciled us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the word of reconciliation. We're going to come back and talk about the word of reconciliation in a little bit. But I just want you to see the, the emphasis on here is that He has called us. He's transformed us to call us to go into this world to be transformers. He's given us the ministry of transformation and He's given us the word of transformation. And if that's not enough for us, in fact, let me just emphasize this: everybody in this room, if you're if you're Part of the family of God, and you're part of, and you're, and you're a follower of Christ, and you name Grace Point Church as your home. Guess what? You are a minister of reconciliation at Grace Point Church. Why do you think when you walk out of the doors of this church every single time, there's a, a there's written etched etched above the door are these words? Every member is a minister, and every ministry is meaningful. It's because of this passage right here. Every single one of us has got to take on the identity of a minister. I want you to say our, our motto with us. This is our motto. Say it with me. Every member is a minister, and every ministry is meaningful. We talk about this in North Point class, but this is, has been at the very crux of who we are from the very beginning. That you are a minister, I am a minister. Now, hold it. Are we all the same? I may be the pastor, but you know what the job of the pastors of, of Grace Point are? The job of the pastors are to equip you to do the ministry. That's that's not just revolutionary. That's not some new thought that I came up with. That's what Ephesians talks about. So we're to equip you to be the ministers of reconciliation wherever you are. If you're a school teacher, you're a minister of reconciliation. If you're if you're a vendor, you're a minister of reconciliation also. If you if you work in merchandising or operations or at Walmart or Tyson's or JB Hunt, guess what? You're a minister of reconciliation right next to that other title that you have. You have a job. You have a ministry. You are to be transforming just as you have been transformed. He's not only given you the ministry, He's given you the word of reconciliation. Again, we'll come to that. What does it mean, the word? We'll come to that. Because the ministry gives you a purpose. The the word gives you a message, substance to be able to share. But He also calls us to be an ambassador. If you look at this passage of Scripture, go on with me in verse 20. He says, therefore we are ambassadors. This gives us the authority. For Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I prayed a well while ago that I would be able to get out what I got in, have in me. And I don't know that I have. But I cannot emphasize enough before you today as a pastor, if you're a member of Grace Point or a friend, if you're an attender first time or a long time. We have got to understand we have been given a task, we've been given a ministry. And yes, God is transforming me, but it's not all about me. Okay? It's not all about me. It's not all about you. He's given us a ministry. He's given us the word of reconciliation. He's even given us the authority. The authority. He's called us an ambassador. You want to add that to your resume? Add that to your resume, too. I'm not only a minister of reconciliation, I am also an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I am coming to you, I'm coming to whoever is out there in my my relationship, I'm coming to you to tell you, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. One Russian government leader was encountered with a Christian one time, and, and this Christian was asking him about their faith, and if they were a Christian, and he said real plainly, no, I'm an atheist. Just real clearly and... Boldly, but then he softened up. He says, "But don't blame me, because no, I have because that's the only thing I've ever been offered, and I've hung on those last phrases. It's the only thing that I've ever been offered, and I think about the people in your circles of influence, and I just wonder: Do you know people right now?" Who are estranged from God. Who are separated from God. And what they need is they need a transformed person to step into their life, who's still being transformed, step into their life and help reconnect them with God. Say, what do I say, Mike? What's that word of reconciliation? The word of reconciliation is the last verse that I read. Say, what do I say, Mike? Say, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The last verse. Just tell Him, He made the One who absolutely knew no sin. One one scholar called it, the, the moral miracle of Scripture is the very fact that God who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Him. What amazing thing that that happens there. What an exchange of roles. The one who knew no sin became my sin so that I might become His righteousness. What a crazy story. What an awesome story. And that's the story that God has given us and said, now I want you to go into this world and as you're being transformed, take that message of reconciliation and give it out. The one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, if you're going to be an ambassador today, you need to make that commitment to follow through and to be that minister of reconciliation. Who do you know? Who do you know right now that needs to have a reconciled relationship with God? And you know what? I can't, I can't end this message this way without, without making one appeal. Because I think about right now, we have a team of nine people in Mali, and they're arriving right now, all goes well, in the village of Kamabugu. And as I think about them arriving, what are they doing? They're doing the work of a minister of reconciliation. Helping a village who doesn't know Christ come to know Christ. An unreached village. An unreached people group. But I also think about the 639. Other unreached, unengaged people group population segments of over 100,000 people in this world. And here I hold inside of me an earthen vessel, a treasure. A treasure. And I won't share my treasure? How can that be? I have been transformed to be a transformer. I have been reconciled that I might take the ministry of reconciliation. Not just to those around me, but to the world. I want you to watch this this video and I'm going to come back and I'm going to close this in prayer but I want you to watch this video and our ushers will come at this time and take our offering but watch this video and may it begin to stir in your heart the global work that God wants to do this will be on YouTube
1: 639 unengaged unreached people groups spread all across the world with populations over 100,000. That's over 540 million people without Christ, without hope. Several years ago, over 10,000 missionaries, evangelists, and strategists gathered in Amsterdam for an event hosted by the Billy Graham Association. During the event, a small group of mission leaders got together to begin to plan how every people group in the world to be engaged with an evangelism and church planting initiative. The group called itself Table 71 after the particular table number where they were seated. In recent months, they've helped launch a new initiative called Finishing the Task. The vision of the Finishing the Task movement is to see every people group in the world engaged with an indigenously led church planting movement. The mission is to form a global network of local churches, denominations, church planters, and mission agencies that are willing to work together in partnerships to see church planting launched among all of the 639 unengaged, unreached people groups, all with populations over 100,000. Together, these groups number over 540 million people and are still beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These 639 are perhaps the neediest of the needy. The staggering thing is not that these groups are unreached, but that they are unengaged. No one is trying to reach them. No church, no mission, no individual has yet taken the responsibility to tell them of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. These 639 are perhaps at the very heart of the Great Commission task. What's needed today are some new paradigms in mission strategy. Jerry Rankin of the International Mission Board believes that local churches must help to lead the way. The Great Commission wasn't just given to us. It was given to every church and every believer. And only can we finish the task and get the gospel to all the peoples of the world as we work together in a partnership and a synergy, learning from one another in a way that will bring glory to God. This new approach to missions will be led by local churches, supported by mission boards with international partners. But the first step is always to go and survey the group to be reached. Lauren Cunningham believes that it's essential for us to see the need firsthand. The most exciting thing you can do is the will of God. I went to the village of Bantico, 450 miles in the jungle. They had never heard of God before. It broke my heart. Do you want your heart broken for that which God's heart is broken over? Go to the unreached people groups of the world. It will change your life and your church. Lauren is right. It's time for us to go. We've prayed for unreached people. Now it's time for us to go to find a partner in the country with the unreached, unengaged group and begin making plans with that partner to reach these groups that have been so spiritually lost. There are reasons why these groups are unengaged and unreached. Some groups have no scripture. With others, it's a problem of literacy. 70% of the unengaged, unreached people groups of the world can't don't or won't read. They're functionally illiterate. They learn by oral means, such as stories and songs and drama. Now, why that's important is only through their communication styles can we multiply disciples and churches. And if you don't start churches that will start churches, you will never reach one of these groups.
0: When I first heard about oral learners though, it was obvious to me that we would not likely reach them best with a written tool like the four laws. We needed to tell stories and in other ways communicate so that oral learners can understand and respond. So the issue regarding the use of principles of orality for us really is to be more effective. If we're going to reach these remaining 639 unreached people groups with a gospel message, they need the scriptures in their language. And if not in written form,
1: they need it in story form and in all kinds of oral strategies. But can one church actually make a difference among the 639 unengaged, unreached peoples of the world? It always begins with a commitment of the leadership of the church. It took me 30 years as a senior pastor to finally learn what the Great Commission was all about. I thought it was about local church growth, and then 10 years ago I went to China. My life was changed forever and I learned that the greatest legacy that a church can leave is pushing back the darkness. One church can make a difference. Henry Blackaby believes that obedience to the Great Commission is an evidence of our commitment to the Lord. In Mark's account of the Great Commission given by Jesus, Jesus commanded us to take the Gospel to every person. And then he had said, if a person loves me, he will keep my commandments. He will do what I have said. The role of the pastor is to equip laymen and women for their work of service. Greg Buckingham is a layman challenged by his pastor to champion the cause of unreached people groups in Myanmar. Um, Most of you know that Ken's talked about unreached people groups and really they're um, difficult places to get to or unsafe places to get to and the Coast Hills have taken several of those on. Ken took a team over there in May. And we were able to premiere the first Jesus film in the Rumai Plong language ever. And that evening we got to see the first people in almost 2,000 years come to Christ. And it was an amazing event to be a part of. And, um, you know, just to even, you know, be a part of that and for you to send me there and let me go there and, and see that. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And even more than that, as I got to... I'll... I got to model that with my son to understand what real value is in life. And and he is part of being able with me to see the first people ever in a region of the world come to Christ. And to me, that's just a great God, a great gift.
0: I struggle with this message, I think, for one reason. Because if you're not taking on the role of Minister of Reconciliation in Northwest Arkansas and in your own neighborhood. How can we talk about 639 different people groups out there, 13 pages full here, because they don't have a church, they don't have a witness, they don't have a Bible, they don't have a missionary, they have nothing. And the light that shines shines the brightest at home. But how really? unless we take on our role as ministers of reconciliation, as transformers, will we ever think that we're going to reach those people? I'm troubled today because I don't want to be an attractional church. A church that merely comes and you sit and you hear a good message or you hear a good band or your children are taught a good lesson. My struggle is this is that we're just going to be listeners but not being transformed and not being transformers. God has got a global work out there. He's got a local work right here. Will you take on the ministry of reconciliation? I'm going to do something that we haven't done probably in a long time in a a worship service, maybe ever since we started Grace Point. We're not going to necessarily close out singing. I want to close out in prayer. And then we'll go out singing. You'll be free to go at that point. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray. So guys, if we turn the house lights up. I want to pray that you will be an ambassador. That you'll take the message. You'll take the word of reconciliation. You'll take your ministry of reconciliation seriously. And go out and transform your world. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father, forgive us. Forgive us for only looking at ourselves and only thinking of ourselves. Only praying for ourselves and only giving to ourselves and only going for ourselves and living for ourselves. And Lord, the work of transformation is Is one that is an ongoing work where you are bringing out new life into our old life, pushing out the old, bringing in the new. But God, it doesn't end with us. We have a tremendous ministry set before us. Change us that we might be change agents. Reconcile us that we might be reconcilers. Transform us that we might be transformers.
1: Does everybody have
0: to get on a plane and go live in a foreign country? No. Lord, we are about Your business. And Your business is way, way, way beyond us. May we get in on Your work and not miss out. Lord, we bless you. And as we go from here, Lord, we take your Holy Spirit with us in power, though we're only an earthen vessel, Lord. Go with us. Empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.